So there's two parts of visiting a new clinic that really throw being a complex medical parent in your face. So you walk in, you get your packet, you sit down to fill it out, and you get these two little lines that say past procedures, dates, and reason. Then you also get a medication line or two to fill out. Okay, so here's the thing. I need like a paper or possibly two to fill out all of the procedures, dates, and times that my kid has had something happen to her. And then for medication, I mean, two lines is just not enough to fill out the long names of all the medication that she has to take daily or weekly to keep herself healthy. And then there's the new doctor, the new specialist that hasn't seen this before, but yet they've read her her record. They know what she, you know, what medically she looks like. They come in, they kind of scratch their head, they introduce themselves, they shake my hand, and they kind of proceed to tell me that they I've reviewed your daughter's file and it just uh, you know she has quite the complex medical history. I usually nod, kind of give a chuckle and you know sarcastically say, "Uh-huh. Yep." As we didn't know. We didn't know that we were pretty complex. Hi guys. I'm Bridget, 40-year-old mom of two, caregiver to medically complex Bradley who's currently 9. My husband Brian and I also have a quirky 12-year-old named Cooper. Becoming a full-time and part-time caregiver was tough. I didn't apply. I very rarely feel qualified, but here we are nine years into our family's medical journey and we're doing okay. Cooper was born and for the most part has been the pillar of health, rarely, rarely getting sick or a cold. And when he does, he recovers quickly. Our sweet and sassy, wise beyond her years, daughter Briley came out and the day after she was born, we found out she was had a congenital heart defect. There are thousands of heart defects given to newborn babies daily. Briley's diagnosis was Tetralogy of Flow, also known as TLF, in the cardiac world. Seems as every diagnosis is turned into an acronym. I've often thought it makes it things a little bit easier emotionally to handle or for them to say, like you can disconnect yourself with the fact that your child has a really hard illness. It's not. It's just because who wants to say Tetralogy of Flow or the other long names that come along with diagnosis. So TOF rolls off the tongue a little easier, but sometimes it seems the harder the diagnosis, the longer the name, the more complex it is, it gets an acronym. Being diagnosed with TOF, the heart has to have four different heart defects within. In Briley's case, she was born with three chambers opposed to four. Her pulmonary valve, the valve from her heart to her lungs, was narrow, and the blood flow was oxygenized and deoxygenized which all had to be surgically repaired by an open heart surgery. So boom, two weeks into Briley's life, she was facing an open heart double by bypass surgery at the age of only four months old. So within those four months, I tried to learn as much as I could about TOF, what the surgery was going to look like, what aftercare was going to look like, and what our life looked like as a family now that we had this heart baby that we had never experienced before. I will say this. There is no website that can ever give you a vision or an idea what it's like to walk into a room after a child has had a major surgery. The wires, the cords, the medical equipment that is all around is very overwhelming and there really isn't much you can describe it until you've seen it. So the plan for her surgery was to graft the bottom of her heart to create the fourth chamber, open up the valve, that way her blood oxygen level would be better. And that was it. So let me also add... If you end up with a child that has a complex medical issue, Google is not your friend. It is the worst of the worst cases, and I highly recommend not checking in with Dr. Google for medical advice.
When Briley was born, our family was stationed in Okinawa, Japan. Unfortunately, the military community does not have a pediatric cardiologist living in Okinawa, so we had to travel to Hawaii for literally a 30-minute diagnosis appointment because we were unable to be diagnosed through email. So that 30-minute appointment turned into about a two-hour appointment because every student that was a cardiology major got to come in and listen to Riley's heart because it listed, it just sounded really different, which we're always you know, open to helping and moving medicine forward. So we went back to Okinawa prepared for surgery and spent the last four, you know, the next four months working to find the new normal of what we were given. Four months later, we were off to San Diego for the, for the repair and things went kind of as normal as planned. The surgery ended up being completed about an hour earlier than planned. Uh, the surgeon ended up nicking something in Bradley's esophagus. And so she was put on clears for a couple days. She spent about a week and a half in the hospital uh, getting x-rays, and then uh, about a week and a half later, she was discharged. We spent about a month and a half in San Diego before we were released to go back to Okinawa. When you become a caregiver, there's a mind switch. There's something that happens um, in your mind, and so everything that um, sounds funny is a sniffle, is a sneeze, is all connected to whatever the issue is. So needless to say, we spent a lot of time in the doctor's office over the next, about the next year. Around 10 months, we found out that Bradley just really wasn't very mobile. Her trunk was very tight. She was unable to to crawl or stroll. She was sitting, but only when we would sit her. She wouldn't go from a laying position to a sitting position. So the doctors thought it would be good for her to have about a year of, of in-home PT. And around 18 months old, she was finally strong enough to walk. So between the ages of two and five, Bradley's life really settled down. We've kind of found a new normal of what it looked like to have a heart patient, a heart baby. Um, but maybe it was our mindset. Our mind still raced whenever things would look funny or her breathing sounded off. But for the most part, our family moved forward to having in the general direction of having two healthy kids. So around five, Bradley had a cardiac MRI because the EKG that she had at a clinic appointment was questionable about the size of her heart. We were told at the end of her surgery that we really wouldn't look for any changes until late teens. We were really hoping at least she would make it through childhood with little to do with heart issues. But we found at the age of five that Bradley's heart was already three times the size of an average five-year-old. We were given a timeline for her next repair to be around the age of eight. I will be really honest, from between the ages of two and five, Bradley really had grown to have positivity in all paths of her life. So we let her live that way. She was placed in gymnastics at two and by five, she was on the competitive team. We had already, she was already being looked at to be possibly gifted classes because academically she was excelling and maturity wise, she was well past most of her peers. So we adopted the saying, as long as Brawley was doing well, we were doing well. Fast forward to the winter of 2018, February to be precise. Brawley was seven and my husband and I commented on how her color was changing. She began to look a little pale. Her activity level was the same, so we didn't think much of it. She had a yearly cardiac appointment coming up in April. And to be honest, the paleness isn't a shocker when having a child with an enlarged heart, possibly with a repair coming up the next year. Through the next couple of months, I talked to her teachers and coaches about having, keeping a closer eye on her in case any changes happened and they would just let me know. The first week of April, Briley started to complain of being really tired. She would get up in the morning and fall asleep on the way to school. 
She would come in after school and fall asleep on the carpet into a deep sleep. She was extremely thirsty and really wasn't very hungry and started a low-grade fever at night. They sounded, they looked much like a childhood, a common childhood cold, possibly maybe mono with all, with how tired she was. After about four days, we took her to the doctor and all the childhood illnesses came back negative. We were told to contact our cardiologist with her yearly appointment coming up. We really hadn't pushed it. She was going to be seen on the 17th and this day was April 9th. I called Monday morning and Bradley was seen the next day. Her EKG looked great. Her heart was big, but it was expected. The cardiologist didn't feel her symptoms were heart related. My husband and I were shocked. What could it be if it wasn't heart related? Labs were done and we were told it could take up to five days to get back and just to let her lay around as much as possible and they would let us know if anything came back. April 11th was Cooper's birthday. He turned 11. He had asked recently to go to Atlanta to the Coca-Cola world that he had learned about in class. So when we picked him up early that day from school, that is exactly where he thought we were headed when we told him we were going to Atlanta. Sadly, we weren't going for Cooper's birthday. It was due to the phone call that we had gotten with Bradley's cardiologist telling us that her lab work either showed leukemia or lymphoma and we needed to get to Atlanta as soon as possible. Wait, what? We're a heart family. We aren't supposed to get two major issues in one kid. I was sure that it was a misread as we had had a misread during Bradley's TOF diagnosis. So all the way to Atlanta, Bradley's dad cried the entire three and a half hours there. And I, on the other hand, was really positive that the labs were wrong. So after arriving at, at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, all the tests were retaken and the results came back that it was positively leukemia. Our world was shattered. Unlike her heart, we had no time to plan. There was no time to learn about leukemia. There was no time to pray through what we were going through or be prayed up for whatever was coming. It was it. We hit the ground running and there was nothing that anyone could do for us except work around us. We stood in a haze. We didn't know what to do. We didn't know what to say. Thankfully, the staff at CHOA knew exactly what to do and we were just taken care of. Her diagnosis was high-risk B-cell acute lymblastic leukemia. Her medical plan was heavy, heavier than anything we had ever seen. It was 29 days inpatient immediately, followed by a year of weekly outpatient appointments and two years of possible out monthly outpatient appointments. The next three years of our life was planned. We, we didn't have time to figure out what to do. We didn't know what was coming. We just knew that Bradley had treatment for the next three years. It was a whirlwind. It was hard. It was cold and it was miserable in the most negative way. The nurses, the child life specialists, the doctors, and all the staff tried to make it comfortable, but it was the most helpless feeling I had ever had as a mom. Bradley started treatment, and I stayed with her full-time while her dad and brother did their best to work and continue with school, only coming to Atlanta on the weekends. Now, most of my kid's life, I had been a stay-at-home mom, only returning back to work three and a half years before Bradley was diagnosed. When I did return to employment, I worked in an elementary school and worked while they were at school so I could be at home when they were at home. Neither one of my kids have ever been with, really without me, so it was extremely hard on Cooper only having nightly FaceTime, FaceTimes with me and his sister. Through the month, our family all played a different needed role. Unfortunately, when you're a medical family, everyone plays a role. Around two weeks of inpatient, Bradley started a fever, which isn't uncommon, but then she started complaining of bad belly pain, which is uncommon. 
Things went from bad to worse when nothing in the nothing in scans, nothing in x-rays, and nothing in labs showed. Doctor after doctor came in telling us they didn't know why her belly hurt or why she had a fever. Unfortunately, that when the chemo takes your counts away, you cannot create inflammation to create any kind of visual image of where infection is. Around the 29-day plan stay showed that Bradley had a severe colon infection called colitis, which required a mandatory no eating for four days, which ended up turning into eight days of no food and her losing around 25 pounds of her already small body frame. After the eight days, her colon infection started to clear up. We got some amazing news that Bradley was NED. The treatment was working, the chemo was doing its job, and the labs showed no evidence of disease. Wait, why didn't I say cancer-free? I mean, everyone says cancer-free, right? That's what you get when you don't have any cancer in your body. You're cancer-free. Unfortunately, a little-known fact in the cancer world that I didn't know prior to being a cancer mom was no oncologist will ever say that a cancer patient is cancer-free. They will always say that there's no evidence of disease, of disease, just a little side note. We were excited and thankful. The colon infection was no longer painful, and there were no signs of leukemia. Due to Bradley's heart condition, her treatment plan for her leukemia was a little different. One difference is the amount of time a patient has to stay once they become fever-free. Most cancer patients have a 24-hour hold of being fever-free before they are discharged from the hospital. Not Bradley. Nope. She's 48 hours. With the colon infection clearing up, so did her fever. So we thought we were headed up and headed out and getting out of that hospital. Well, until her fever returned two days later at around 104. That sucker lasted for 40 days. And the hardest part, we once again had no doctor that could tell us what was happening and why the fever was there. No labs or scans showed us why she had a fever. So during that 40 days, Bradley had more scans than I care to remember, an arm biopsy, a lung biopsy, multiple MRIs, full body and half body, almost daily CT scans and x-rays, and labs were taken daily. Different children's hospitals were contacted, and for 40 days, not one doctor in any department could tell us what was wrong, Mm -hmm. what caused the high fever, or how to get it to go away. So by now, in the seven years of Bradley's life, as her mom, I had been told that my child was in the need of open heart repair. Her heart was once again enlarged and she would now need another repair and she now has cancer. Those don't even compare to how hard it was for the best doctors in their field to tell you they had no idea why she had a fever or how they were going to get it to go away. I also found out through our journey in our hospital stay, that most patients don't die from cancer. They die from the effects of chemo and the lack lack of ability to protect, protect themselves from infection. 40 days of no answers have no words of frustration or heartbreak for your child or family, and it starts to chip at your hope. And in the world of a medical journey, hope is all you have. And just as the fever came on, it went away. Still with no answers, but the assumption is that it was probably a fungal infection that never showed in labs with the possibility of a small touch of pneumonia. Unfortunately, a doctor cannot treat symptoms with no cause. So with all the amazingly brilliant doctors putting their heads together, they got Bradley's fever to go away. She held fever free for 48 hours and was discharged. The day of discharge after a long hospital stay has a very odd feeling. Two months had passed 
My school kids in my class had gone on summer vacation without a goodbye from me. I now headed home with a different kid. She was no longer just a heart kid. She now was a cancer kid also. Our life stopped and everyone else's life moved on as normal. A week later, our, patient, our outpatient treatment started. We traveled a three, the three and a half hours back to the hospital from, from South Georgia. About two weeks after discharge, Riley went to camp. This is where she mentally won her battle against her illnesses with one climb of the rock wall. This story's for another podcast, but I will tell you that I will forever be thankful for that rock wall and the person that worked at the bottom. With the heaviness that Brawley's treatment began with, three-year treatment plan, our family felt it would be best to live closer to Brawley's treatment hospital. So in the middle of the summer, in the middle of a hard treatment plan, we sold our house and bought a new house closer to her hospital. Most caught us crazy, but it is still something I am beyond thankful that we suffered through to make one of the hardest chapters a little bit lighter. Bradley and our family stepped out of the hospital different, and we, ta- and we have learned to take things as they come. We have learned a lot and grown a lot. Bradley is still in treatment and has transfusions monthly, along with nightly pill form chemo, equaling over 100 pills a month. We have learned what medical triggers are and how to handle them. We've learned there are certain things we can watch on TV and certain conversations that we can't have. I've learned that a CPR class can put me into tears and almost into a panic attack. There are no ways to know what things are going to be hard until you're in the middle of them. We've leaned on prayer and good communication, the help of others, and with the hope that one day the sting of Bradley's heart and her cancer would not dictate every life choice that we make. But for now, we're living by the saying, if Bradley's doing well, we're doing well.